studying good news this year, the, the gospel in, in four letters. And we're in Galatians. And, and here's the reality. I hope that you uh, are, 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 it's resonating with you. Can you say it out loud with me? The gospel you believe determines what? And so what that means simply is this. Everybody, everybody here, everybody you know, there is something that drives them. There's something that they're passionate about. It's something that they get excited about. And, and it, it's what they desire and long for and pursue. That's their gospel. That's, what, that's, what, that's the good news that they're leaning into. And that drives all the rest of their life. It determines the life that they live. Now, there is one true gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ revealed in the Bible. What is that gospel? The gospel is the power of God to save us from the power and punishment of sin so that we have peace with God, peace within, and peace with others. That's what we preach week in, week out. This is what we're, we're being exposed to in our study of Galatians. And what we're seeking to do is to experience good news. Again, what is an experience? It's something that engages the head, the heart, and the hands. Uh, we Baptists, we, we are typical uh, of fun functioning at, at the cognitive and, and at the practice level, oftentimes forgetting the heart. Others tend to lean more into the heart rather than into the faculties. And, and that's a mistake. To experience all of the good news of God, we must know it, have our affections moved by it so that our behavior reflects our belief. And every gospel, every gospel demands that. And the gospel you believe will determine the life that you live because you'll believe it, you'll be passionate about it, and you'll pursue it. You'll do it with your hands. Now, we're studying Galatians. And we're studying it because what we see in Galatians is an example. It's just an example. It's not the ultimate example. It's an example of how the church dealt with a false gospel. There was a false gospel that was being taught that before a person could be saved, that they first had to behave in certain ways. And that's not true. That is a false gospel. Our behavior does not save us. What Christ has done saves us. We cannot save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to overcome our sin and our disobedience and our treason. But what Christ has done has satisfied that demand. So now we're in Galatians chapter three. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Galatians chapter three. Now, Galatians three begins, as I told you last week, a new section of this letter. And so we began last week talking about experiencing faith. And we talked about the fact that everyone has a key of faith given to us by God. And that key will be put in whatever door we believe is the good news that we want to base our life on. And so you have, everyone here has a key of faith and everyone's using it in some way. You're placing your faith into something. And if it's not the gospel of God, it will never satisfy the longing of your eternal soul. It will never meet the emotional needs, the cognitive needs, and the, the way of life that, that you desire and long for. There are many false gospels out there, and we have to be sure that we are pursuing the right one. So we talked about that last week. Now, today, we're going to talk about experiencing Scripture. It is the Bible that provides for us the understanding and the movement of our heart and the activity that, that we seek out because of Christ. The, the, the Scriptures are powerful. Let me say it this way, like God, who is the author, the, Bible, the scripture is God's word. The scripture is both beautiful and dangerous. Just like God. God is majestic and holy and glorious and beautiful, but he is not safe because he is those things. Because he is holy and righteous and beautiful and just. 
And we are fallen, treasonous, sinful creatures. And that's why God is dangerous, but God has pursued us. And for us to understand who we are and who he is so that the gospel that saves us from the power and the punishment of sin and gives us peace with God and peace with others and and, and, and peace within and peace with others, it has to be explained to us. And so that's what the scripture is. It is this beautiful, dangerous truth. The the scripture describes itself as a two-edged sword. In the earlier service, I had a smaller one and I was kind of moving around a lot. It made everyone in the front row nervous. Trust me, people. This this is dangerous. It's not even really that sharp. My wife still thinks I'm going to hurt myself today. Let's pray she's wrong, everybody. Let's pray she's wrong. But listen, this is, uh, I'm going to hold it for a second, though. I just feel really powerful. This is uh, Hebrews 4.12, all right? This is how the Bible describes itself. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the scripture cuts both ways. And that's what I want to, that's what I want to teach you this morning from God's word. The scripture cuts both ways. It's a, it's a double-edged sword. One part of it, it, it cuts to harm. It's an enemy to us. And that's the law. What the law does is it reveals to us our sin and the reality of our sin because the wages of sin is death. And that that hurts, that's harmful. But there's also another cut, the cut that comes from our physician. It's a cut that heals, it's the gospel cut. And it cuts down into our soul and it heals. And, And that's what scripture does. It cuts us and it hurts because it reveals the truth about our incapacity to save ourselves from the sin we have readily committed. But, the other cut is a, is a healing cut. It's a surgical cut. It's the cut that relieves that sickness and removes it from, from our soul so that we are made whole and we are healed by the power of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel. And so that's what our, our scripture is. To, I'm going to put this away now before somebody gets hurt, all right? So it's there, and it's there, so everybody knows I'm armed this morning, all right? But, he, but can I tell you, the more dangerous is this right here. This right here is the ultimate two-edged sword. This is a beautiful and dangerous weapon. And we need to experience scripture. Experiencing scripture does something to us. And and that's what we're gonna look at today. So you're you're in Galatians chapter three. Let's now go to verses 15 through 22. Briley's gonna come and read verse 21, verses 21 and 22. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're gonna study verses 15 through 22, but Briley's gonna read for us the, the uh, kind of conclusion in verses 21 and 22. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Bradley. If you would go ahead and be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. So again, this is a dangerous thing. And there have been many who sought to destroy this. Many of the martyrs of the last 2,000 years have been those who were willing to produce and to provide these scriptures in, in the language of people of all nations and tribes. There are secular governments. There are secular governments of large populations of people who do not want this to be in their society because it's dangerous. 
it is dangerous. And there, there are many who are saying, not, not only is it dangerous and we should remove it, there, there are some, they know it's dangerous. And so what they want to do is they want to undermine its authority. Talking with a friend this week, he said, you know, I, I'm glad you like your Bible, but you know, it's, it's, just a, it's just a collection of stories. Friends, I don't believe that. I don't know what you believe about this, but I mean, I can't believe it. I'll be honest with you. I can't believe it because the prophecies alone, all these promises that were made hundreds of years and each one fulfilled it blows my mind. And, and then to, to think about how this, this truth, how, how it resonates in, in our sense of reality. And, and, you know, the more we dig, the more we find out this thing is right. When I was in seminary, uh, several of my professors were archaeologists. And they would go and they would dig there in the Holy Land. And you know what happens? They would, uh, the Bible in spade, I'm not sure if that's a journal that's still in existence, but they would write for it. And they would go dig this stuff up. And you know what they keep finding out? The Bible's right. Those things that they said didn't exist, those things that they said weren't any way. The Bible keeps proving to be correct. But there are those who want to undermine its authority. There are those who want it destroyed. And, and there are those who confuse its meaning. And, and sadly, there's a lot of that today. Sadly, uh, and, and, and our, our African brothers and sisters are, are in, in more danger today from westernized Christianity than they are anything else because they're being taught a false gospel of health and wealth. And it's a sad thing because people keep confusing it. And, and again, there are parts of it that are difficult. There's a section, there's a doozy in our, in verses 20, 20, 21. Uh, uh, anyway, we'll get to it in a minute. It's tough. And I, I'll explain why, maybe. But there's portions. But friends, make no mistake. The, the, the Bible, its message is simple. Karl Barth, he's not someone who necessarily believed in the authority of Scripture. And yet he was once asked, uh, by a student, can you sum up all of your theology in, in a single sentence? And, and, and here's what he said. I, I bet you know this one. Jesus loves me, this I know. Can you say it with me for the? I mean, it's a person who didn't really have a high view of scripture, but he knew that the Bible taught a simple message and that that is Jesus Christ saves. So we know that the Bible is divided in four sections. If you're new here, th this will be new. For those of you who've been around for a while, we know that the Bible is divided. It's a single story in four sections. Let's say out loud what they are. They are creation. So those are the four sections of the Bible. And when we, when we, when we use the three circles, we do so because it's biblical. What we are teaching with three circles is, is the Bible in some. So, so what we know is that there was a creation. It was God's design. But we also know that, that sin entered the world and created brokenness, and that's the fall. But we know that there was a rescue, and we're going to see in, in our study this morning that this rescue was promised from the day of the fall, that, that there would be a Messiah, a Christ, who would come to rescue us, that he would come down, the gospel, that he would come down, die for our sins, and be raised. And if we repent and believe that gospel, we are rescued, we are saved so that we can pursue and recover God's design, looking forward to the day when all things are restored. There's a new heaven and a new earth. There's no more sickness, there's no more pain. There's nothing but the goodness and greatness of God. And we need to be sharing this. Do you know how? I realize and recognize that sometimes that's challenging, especially the, the, the closer we are to people, sometimes the more difficult it is to have this very important conversation. So we want to train you. We're going to put some, I'm going to put some dates up on the screen for you. Look, if, if you are serious about this, this is a part of the 10-2 focus. 
even if you've done the, the, the training before, go do it again. We did it again with the staff. And Pastor Will's walked us through it. Pastor Will's going to do all this training. And we're making this available so that there will be a confidence among our membership to simply speak to and have conversations about what we believe. That the Bible is one story in four parts. That there is a, a, a design by God that we've lost because of sin and brokenness. But, but we can pursue and recover God's design if we will repent and believe the gospel. How do you talk about that? Well, maybe you need to be sharpened up on that. But understand that the, at the end of the day, what we're in essence talking about is the scripture. And the scripture is beautiful and dangerous. It's a two-edged sword. But when we experience the scripture, when we experience this truth, there's some things that happen to us. And that's what I want to show you in our text today. So write down and remember these three things that experiencing scripture enables us to do. And the first is this. Experiencing scripture enables us to know the promise of God. It enables us to know the promise of God. The promise of God is concerning Jesus. Look in verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. So the offspring is singular, is Christ. All the scriptures point to Jesus from the very beginning, from the beginning of the fall. The promises of God found in the Old Testament were pointing to Jesus, the ultimate promise. Uh, let me show you again. I'm going to put all this on the screen for you just to, to help you. The promise itself, it goes back to the garden. The day of the fall, when, when God cursed the serpent, Here's what he said, and it's a message of hope to us. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall, this Messiah, this Christ, he shall bruise, I like the NIV, crush your head, and you shall bruise, NIV, strike his heel. What was this? This was the Proto-Evangelion. This is the first announcement of the coming of Jesus Christ, and it happened the very day that we fell into sin as a human race. And on this day, God said, there will be a man who will come, who will crush the head of the serpent, who will overcome at a cost to himself. So that, that promise began to be clarified to Abraham. Now, you'll see this text, Genesis 12, 2 and 3. There's not a month that goes by that this is not cited in a sermon. And there's good reason because this is the beginning of the clarification of the promise of God to the world. And so God said to Abraham, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There is a salvation that was promised to come that would touch the whole world and it would come through this one, this offspring who was promised, who was Christ. Now David received more clarity. The, the, the King David, uh, this, there was more clarification given uh, with David. David told God, hey, I'm gonna build you a house. And God said, wrong. I'm going to build you into an eternal dwelling. This is 2 Samuel 7, 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Only someone of divine origin can do something forever. There had to be one who was both God and man, who would be born of a woman of the line of David, who was God. And this is Jesus Christ. All the prophets, all the law, all the promises of the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, the, this was, this is Luke 1, 32. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And, his, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. What's, point, what's Paul's point here? Paul is, is saying clearly, the promise was made and kept to all who are in Christ. Christ is the promise. And for all of us who believe, all the promises are yes in him. And what we have in Christ is the ultimate need and desire met. And the promise, look in verse 17. He's going to get a little, and this is, this is not dicey or anything. It's just clarifying. Notice what he says in verse 17. The promise was made 430 years before the law. Why is he bringing this up? Here's why. Because there were people at the time that, that, that Paul was writing to were saying, you've got to keep the law, you've got to keep the rules before you can become a Christian, before you believe the promise. And he said, wrong. That's not how it was from the beginning. He said the promise was given 430 years before the law. What saves is the promise, not the law. And that is still the case today. And, and, and he, he goes on to make this argument. Look at verse 15. And here's the illustration. He says, look, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. What's he saying? The promise was made and nothing's going to stop God. Why was the law given? The law was given as a clarification for what will happen to those who do believe. Summation, let me say it as simple as I can. I'll put it on the screen for you. We do not keep the law to be saved. We keep the law because we are saved. That's what verse 18 is all about. The law did not nullify the covenant. No, Jesus said, I, I came to fulfill the law and all the prophets. When we believe Jesus Christ, we will begin to love and live like Jesus Christ according to the law. Obeying the law, which we don't do, which he's going to make the point here in just a second, doesn't make us a Christian. What makes us like Christ is we trust in Christ. And then because we trust in Christ, we live out the law of God. And so what happens when we're experiencing scripture, it enables us to know the promise of God that is Jesus Christ. But before we can know that promise, we have to feel, feel the need for Christ. Having understood it, we will feel the need. So, so write it down and remember, experiencing scripture enables us to feel the weight of disobedience to feel the weight of it. The law does not give life. Look at verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Why was the law given? So that we would see our sin for what it is. It's treason. It's dirty. It's, it's deadening. The wages of sin is death. It is a sickness to us. It kills our soul. It separates us from God. And the law reveals it. The law shows our true condition. It shows us what has happened and we feel the weight of it. And the weight of it is not to make us depressed. The, the, the weight of it is not to, to make us hate ourselves. Uh, there are so many who, who come to church and, and, and I, you know, I've been criticized of this. And, 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 and maybe, I, maybe I have been heavy handed. I, maybe, I don't know. But I know hell's real. And if I didn't tell you so, I'd be a liar and, and my concern, and I believe God's concern, is not that you feel good about who you are, but that you feel good about who God is and that you know that he loves you. And the reason why you love, the reason why you can love yourself and you can love other people, have peace within, is because you have peace with God who loves you. 
And then that peace is lived out in your relationships to other people. So what the, what the weight of the gospel is to do is to give us the desire to trust in Christ alone. It makes us desire to be receptive of Jesus. This is Romans 7, 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? Is the, is the law bad? Is it wrong? No, by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known, I would not have known sin. For, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. See, the law makes us aware of sin and it's painful. But hear me. Pain is a gift. I know in a therapeutic westernized age, there are many who are saying, blasphemy, blasphemy that man. How dare he say something so awful that a person should actually feel pain because in, in our age and time, there's nothing worse than pain. I'm gonna tell you, pain is a gift. Pain is a gift. Here's why. If, if you're sitting next to a fire, if you're sleeping next to a fire and your leg is numb and your leg goes into that fire, I promise you, you want to feel pain. You want to feel the pain that will get your leg out of that fire. You want to feel the pain that says, this is not what you were made for. This is not good for you. This is not, this, this is not well with your soul. You need to get that out of here. That's what the law does. It brings this weight of, of pain that makes us say, I don't want this. I don't want relationships like this. I don't want divorce. I don't want anger. I don't want bitterness. I don't want to talk like this and live like this and, and, and wake up wondering what did I do with my life. I, I want life. I want meaning. I want holiness. I want wholeness. I want what God can give. And, and you will only want that when you feel the pain of the weight of what the law says. And I get it. There's a lot of people who say, I'm good. I'm good enough. I, you know, I got this. I mean, some of you are sitting here right now and say, man, this guy's crazy. He's way over the top and he's relaxed. I know there's a lot of people who say, you know, I'm good enough. Let me tell you, I appreciate what C.S. Lewis said here. He said, no man knows how bad he is in, until he has tried very hard to be good. So if you want to trust in your goodness, go to the Old Testament. No, no, no. Forget that. Go to Matthew 5 through 7. Read it and do it the rest of your life. And then realize that you've not done it up to this point. And there's nothing you can do to make up for what you've not done, Matthew 5 through 7 tells you to do. What's amazing, that's the Sermon on the Mount. And there are those who say, isn't that beautiful? And absolutely it is. But isn't it terrifying? Because there's not a person in this room who can live it. And that's the weight. The weight of the truth that we cannot save ourselves which should lead us to look to Jesus and cause us to be thankful for Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, the, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, we are victorious, we are saved. And so now the gospel, that is the power of God to save us from the power and punishment of the sin so we have peace with God and peace within, which will lead us then to obedience. Once we are saved because we love Jesus, we can't help but obey in Romans 6, 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Again, catch that. It's not just cognitive. It's just not head, it's heart. You, you, there's a desire because you know the truth. Because now you, have, you want to be obedient from the heart because you desire it to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That is the law. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. So what are we saved for? We are saved for a life that looks like and lives like Jesus. Let me say it this way. 
We are not saved so that we can sin. We are saved from sin. We are, sa we are pulled out of the pit. That's what we sang earlier. He pulled me from the pit so that we can live free, so that we can walk in freedom. But sadly, here's what many, uh, many of God's sheep, this is, this is what it looks like. This is what the Christian life for many look like. Let's watch this together. We're sheep. We have a shepherd. He, he's, he sets up, he jerks us out of the pit. Yay, hoo, I'm free, yay, woo. <laughs> Am I right? So it's Sunday, the shepherd jerks us out. I would say, woo, Tuesday, you suck my, back in the pit. I did good all week until Friday I lost my cool. And I had to take it easy. You know, I had to sin. God did not save us so we can sin. He saved us to be free from sin. Free to walk in this life in Christ. Peace with God. Peace within. Peace with others. And, and so this, this freedom we have, it comes from Christ. So write it down and remember. Experiencing scripture enables us to enjoy the freedom of Jesus. And it is, it's Freedom. But what did the scripture do? It cut both ways. Again, I'm going to pull out my weapon. What does the scripture do? It cuts both ways. And we see it here in this verse. It captures us, making us aware of the reality of our sin. But it frees us with the truth of the gospel. What, what does it say in verse 22? But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. That's the, that's the, that's the cut that hurts. So that the... the so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ, that's the other cut, might be given to those who believe so that we can be saved. Saved from the power and punishment of sin. Now, most folks understand the idea of being saved from the punishment. Saved from hell. And we love Romans 8.1. What, what does it say? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. The day you die in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. All your sin you've ever committed and ever will was paid for by the death of Jesus Christ. We talked about this last week. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He took full responsibility for our sin. Our sin having been placed on him, he died and he took the payment. He paid it all. We know that part. Hell is no longer in our future. We are free from the punishment of sin. But friends, we're freed from the power of sin. This is 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin. We get that. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just victory over punishment, but it's victory over the power of sin. Here's what's happening to many of God's children today. You've got, we, we've grown complacent with our sin. Here's how it happens. We're tempted. We fail. We try to pull away from it, but we don't have the strength because we're trying to do it with willpower. And, and Christ alive in us has the power, but we don't trust him. We think back, oh, I've tried this before. I, I can't get free. We're, we're, 
You know this one, the, the, the elephant stuck on the peg? Do you know this one? This, this, is what, this is what a lot of Christians look like. The power of God being held by a little sin, which is a, which is a peg and a rope in the, in the dirt. Friends, I, I want you to look at that because that's, that, that right there is a picture of you. You're being held captive by a sin that Jesus Christ set you free from. And here's what's happened. You've grown complacent with your sin. You call it an addiction. You call it a habit. You, you, you call it your little secret mistake. Your dirty little secret. It's ruining your life. And it's just a little peg in the dirt. The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has the power to set you free. Not to save you, but because you are saved. Because you are saved, you're free to live out the law of love in Jesus Christ. And that law of love demands that you obey God and seek him with all your heart, soul, and mind and that you love your neighbor as yourself, which fulfills all 10 of the commandments given to us. Why are you stuck? Because you're believing a false gospel. You've been given the key of faith and you can put it in the door of the gospel. And not only will you be saved from the punishment of sin, but you will be freed from slavery to sin so that you can walk in obedience to our God and you can live the life he designed for you to have. But it comes by faith. It comes from you knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, and living like Jesus out of that love. Friends, does that describe you today? Are you a person who knows and loves and lives for Jesus? Is that your life? If not, we're gonna have some folks here at the front. You can come and talk with them. Come and talk with me or somebody else out in the hallway here in a minute. You may just wanna come get on your knees to, before Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, help me. But make no mistake, friends. The victory is ours in Christ alone. Let's stand together. Care leaders, come forward. Father God, I pray right now that as we sing the song of victory, that you'll move the hearts of many who would say, Lord, I'm stuck. Forgive me. Give me new life. Save me from not only the punishment of sin. I don't want to go to hell. But from the power of sin. I don't want to live in sin. Lord, I pray for those today who need to be saved, that they will be. And I pray for brothers and sisters who are struggling, captive, that today is the day of victory. Today is the day that they are liberated by the power of the gospel of God. And so we praise you for this victory and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.